welcome to the Proper Mental Podcast. Normalising open and honest conversations about mental health by having open and honest conversations about mental health. This is episode 145, and my guest this week is Jeremy Thomas, who is an author and a speaker and the host of the Shed Talks podcast. And Jeremy also co-produced the Stephen Fry documentary, The Secret Life of a Manic Depressive, which is quite a seminal mental health documentary, really. Stephen Fry is often cited as being one of the uh, first people with a big public profile to talk about mental illness, and Jeremy was heavily involved in the making of that documentary. And after that, he went on to co-write the A to Z Guide to Good Mental Health. You don't have to be famous to have manic depression. And he co-wrote that with his friend and his doctor, who'd looked after him for more than 20 years, Tony Hughes. He's also written a couple of other works of fiction with mental health themes throughout. And he also travels the world, speaking to businesses and schools and colleges about mental health and about mental illness. And I think it's fair to say that Jeremy Thomas has had an incredible life. And a lot of this is down to Jeremy himself and working in the music industry. He worked for Decca Records in the 1970s, working with people like Thin Lizzy and Al Green. He would eventually leave Decca and start his own record label. But throughout all this time, he also had an undiagnosed mental illness. And Jeremy would eventually be diagnosed with manic depression, which is more commonly known now as bipolar. But Jeremy prefers the term manic depression, which is what we refer to it as in this episode. And Jeremy spent a long time undiagnosed, kind of riding the bipolar wave, really, of depression and manic episodes. And it was in some of these manic episodes where the trouble really starts. And Jeremy shares a lot of anecdotes in this episode. And they involve things like going to New York and staying in the the most expensive, poshest hotels in New York, assuming a lordship, hiring armed guards, and making a lot of quite big and crazy deals that he might not have necessarily had the money or the contacts to actually go through on. And this tale takes in alcoholism and bankruptcy and a lot of incredible stories that would eventually lead to Jeremy spending some time in a hospital before getting diagnosed, before getting medication, which he continues to use to this day. It's an incredible story and Jeremy is an incredible storyteller. I found him to be so engaging. It was a lot of fun. Considering some of the darker themes that we're talking about, it was a lot of fun to chat to him. We actually jumped on a call a few weeks before this just to kind of meet each other and flesh out the episode a little bit. And we talked for nearly an hour then and I wish I'd recorded it because that in itself was a wonderful episode. And yeah, Jeremy is a, a lot of fun. He's still got a twinkle in his eye, you know, he's still quite cheeky. You can definitely see how he ended up in some of the situations that he ended up in. And um, yeah, I liked him immensely. He's a lovely, lovely man. I highly recommend his podcast. We do talk about it a little bit in this episode. It's called Shed Talks. And partly because of Jeremy's nature, Jeremy's own personal style, and partly because of his little black book and all the contacts he has, it's a really interesting podcast. It's really something a bit different. And he talks to some really unique guests. I can personally recommend the episode with Dick Moore. 
and with Ian Rankin if you're looking for a starting point with Shed Talks. Jeremy's mental health book is really good. Again, there's a lot of anecdotes in there. There's a lot of stories, but a lot of really uh, useful information about all different aspects of mental health and mental illness. I've also read one of his fiction books, Taking Leave. Jeremy was actually good enough to send me a signed copy after we spoke. I really enjoyed that. That was a lot of fun to read. And although it is a work of fiction, I did recognise some of the stories. So I'm pretty sure it's like half fiction, half memoir. Yeah, I think there's a lot of a lot of Jeremy's own story in that one. But it's really good. Again, highly recommend. There's the links to everything that Jeremy does in the episode notes. Go and check him out. Go and see what he's up to. And if you are already a member of the Patreon community, you might well have watched this episode already. If you're not a member, well, you can get early access to episodes by signing up. It's £5 a month. Basically, as I have these conversations, I upload them straight away. Uh, The videos, which aren't available anywhere else. I also put some behind-the-scenes content on there. So episodes that I've got coming up, people that I've approached, things that are happening behind the scenes and all that type of stuff. And I'm really trying to grow a, a community around the show that's passionate about mental health. So if you'd like to join that community, if you'd like to help me keep this show going and hopefully connect with a lot of like-minded people in the process, the links to the Patreon are in the episode notes. Another way to support the show is to leave a review wherever you are listening to this episode. And this is episode 145 of the Proper Mental Podcast with Jeremy Thomas. Thank you very much for listening. Enjoy! So here we are with another episode of the Proper Mental Podcast. And my guest this week is Jeremy Thomas. How are you, mate? Pretty groovy, Tom. Pretty groovy. That's good to hear, mate. That's good. Are you coming <laughs> live and direct from the, the world-famous shed, is it, Jeremy? I can it is. The, the world-famous shed in, in Wincanton, which is not a province in China, but um, a small town in Somerset. Yeah, in Somerset, great. yeah. yeah. Um, I, I kind of thought with... Um, a life that's been, shall we say, as a, as invent, as eventful as yours, Jeremy. Um, yeah. Probably the best place to start is probably at the start, mate. But was, is Somerset where you grew up, or um, where no. whereabouts did you start life? No, I was born in London, St John's Wood, and I, um, I think my parents couldn't risk it that you know to, I was too dangerous, so they moved to uh, a place called Jared's Cross in Buckinghamshire, and um, in fact, my grandfather had been there for years so we we i was brought up there and uh, <laughs> i did go to school and, and i went to boarding school in somerset um uh which was like sort of cold it's um on a very bad afternoon <laughs> and um no, it's it was not a bad school but uh, yeah what can i say um somerset is a great place in the summer it's absolutely gorgeous um but in the winter when it's raining and it's cold and it's dark you don't want to be, and that's just on the inside in a school like that. Uh, you know, you, you don't want to be there. Anyway, there you go. Yeah, yeah. That must have been quite um, quite an interest, interesting, I don't know if that's the right word, but yeah, uh, interesting way to start by going to boarding school, mate. That's uh, quite quite challenging, particularly back in that day as well. Yes, I think it, I think it was. It was a long way away from home. Um and I had, um, you know, I wasn't used to it at all. I mean, I wasn't used to that sort of life. And, uh, you know, when I got there, <coughs> I'd been, I'd had a year out of previous school. And um, 
uh, you know, due to ill health or whatever. And I, 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 I basically, it was, sounds terribly grand. It wasn't. I had two tutors and, um, and you know, it was all like this and like that and rather nice. So when I went to this boarding school, I was very used to doing what I wanted and to saying what I wanted. And, and, and in schools like that, there is a very, very strict hierarchy. And that normally means somebody who's been there three months longer than you is above you. <laughs> and uh, so my, my, early, my early months at that school were not a success because I would really just tell people to F off and, um, you know, you weren't supposed to know those sort of words even. And, uh, but, it, it, but it worked out in the end. The first two years at that school were not great. And then the last three were rather, rather nice, actually. Um, and it was Catholic and it was uh, Benedictine monks. And, uh, and, and immediately these days, people immediately go, oh, my God, that must be all the paedophile thing, uh, you know, which is really, frankly, um, just not true. Um, there have, you know, there have been some bad apples in those in those places, but their monks actually were fantastic. They were very, very interesting guys. And uh I was very lucky because I, um, you know, I wasn't a natural academic, um, but I liked English. And I had an English teacher who was called, he was a monk called Father Anselm Hurt. And, um, and he was John Hurt's brother. Um, and uh, he, you know, the actor John Hurt. And, and, he, he, and of course, I, this is probably a bit old for everybody, but there was a film called A Man for All Seasons, which was about, you know, Henry VIII and Thomas More. It's a great film for no one's seen it. Really go and see it. And um, John Hurt was, that was his first film and he was in it. And so we read the play by Robert Bolt and, um, and Anselm mentioned, well, actually, my brother is in this, which, of course, transformed the whole thing. And it was great, actually. And that really got me, you know, even more interested in English, uh, which was fab, you know. There you yes. are. <laughs> that's it. Sometimes that's what it takes, right? It's just uh, someone or something to capture our imagination and it can, like... Uh... I, I, I'm, a, I'm a great believer in that. Um, you know, I think that, um, you know, very often you know, I've heard it where people go, that person took an interest in me you know, took an interest in my poetry or whatever it is, but took an interest. And and that's so important, you know, for, for kids uh, growing up to have someone validate them. I mean, I, I don't want to sound like I'm giving a mental health talk, but <clears throat> I really believe that, you know. Yeah, definitely. I think we all, like, as humans, we all want to feel, I don't know, seen in some way and, you know, connect to something in some way. And that's, uh, it goes yeah. to you know, it's part of the, it's got to be on the, the triangle, right? Laszlo's triangle is hierarchy of needs. That's sort uh, of, uh, 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 you got it one. Absolutely. Tom. Absolutely. And, and, um, but I think that, you know, this is what I do say to people um, is that, you know, where there is Norman no mates in the class and everyone thinks this person is, you know, Herbert don't really like him at all. That's the person you've got to look out for. And, um, you know, give that person you know right you are in charge of cleaning all the computer screens you're in charge of that and everyone's going what him <laughs> but that's the only way him is going to get anywhere by having you know what oh what me i do that oh wow oh okay blimey you know yeah um, yeah i mean sense of, um sense of pride right 
Yeah, yeah. I, I, well, also that you know that I matter. That I, that I, well, I'm, I, sorry, I do that. That's my job. You know, so it's all sort of self worth, self esteem, but it gets you going that you, you move from that to something else. Yeah. Um, I don't know how we got into that, but there you go. <laughs> oh, mate, that's, uh, that's where the magic happens. I usually find, yeah, 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 very yeah. much so. Yeah. I mean, uh, I mean, I, I know I should, I, I can't name a name on this, but I know someone who perhaps I walked out with some years ago, um, who was very tall, female, very tall, 5'11", and she was 5'11 at the age of 12, and hated everybody. Mum was very posh. Dad was, you know, working-class artist. And um, she was a very mixed-up girl, very mixed-up, hated everybody. And um, the teacher at her school said, right, uh, we're going to write some poetry and he saw a poem of hers and he went my god um, see me afterwards you know and um, have you got any others yes and then the following week you know this guy just went look you are really good seriously good um, no I'm not you are and um, anyway and he really took a big interest in and helped her and got it going and that person who I cannot name um, produced one of the biggest Netflix series uh, in the lockdown. Wow. Um, you know, um, really well-respected, well-thought-of, well-everything, you know. And it comes back to things like that. Had that not happened, what might have happened, you know? Yeah, yeah. It's the wrong like choices. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, 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 brilliant. I. We love that film, don't we? I mean... We do. Everyone loves that film, right? I, I think so. I mean, it was nearly perfect. Nearly perfect. That sounds terribly snotty, but it, it, <laughs> I, I, I thought it was such a clever idea. I thought Gwyneth Paltrow was excellent. Uh, and, um, you know, I loved... There was a little cameo in it, wasn't there, of the, of the guy um, who, who was the mate of the, of the, of the very bad writer. Uh, he used to meet this guy in the pub and then the guy would always just completely ridicule him. <laughs> I don't know if you remember that. It was very funny. It's, um, you can, you can always tell that a, a film has kind of done well when it, the, like the title of the film and the premise of the film becomes like, um, like slang, like, you know, everyone knows what you mean when you say a sliding doors moment, right? It's yes. kind of like embedded in us, whether you've seen the film or not, p- people know what it means. So uh, yes, it's normally a, normally a good sign i think normally a, a good sign what was it like then jeremy to go to school there and have so much um you know boarding school a lot of like you say a lot of structure a lot of rules a lot of discipline and then to finish school and then be like wow now i can do whatever i whatever i want was that like a a, a, a strange time or an interesting time for you to to um well it was a, it was at a time you know where it was you, you, you know the old um rebelliousness was a big deal um you know we had a big rebellion um about there was about 10 very bright boys in the school uh six form upper six and we decided that um what something called ccf combined cadet force um which was that sort of mock army you know in the thing we didn't want to have that anymore and so we, 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 I don't know how that I got involved in it. So I, I was quite sick really compared to them, but we, uh, we, 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 um, you know, basically in the middle of the night took all the, all the, it was, it was going to be a parade 
you know, Major General Fruit Salad was coming down and the night before we nicked all the boys' trousers, you know, core trousers, chucked them in the swimming pool, put some very big anti-war things on the pavilion, you know, where it was going to march past, cemented the armoury door and generally gave out leaflets saying, you know, war is very bad, man. You know, you've got to do this. <laughs> that was quite an interesting thing. That was um, taught me that, you know, and the uh, and the, it was my first introduction to politics, actually, because the headmaster, who was a tricky guy, um, he called the whole school together uh, in the theatre after breakfast. And he said, right, uh, Major General Fruit Salad is still coming you know, at two o'clock. Um, basically, if I can have your cooperation, you know, to help iron all these trousers, to do this, to do that, to do that, I guarantee none of the ringleaders will be punished, few. And um, I guarantee we'll review and probably will make this a voluntary thing, but you have to cooperate. So it was like, are we going to do that? Yeah, we'll do that. And it did, it became voluntary. So it's about the only, that was quite fun. Like yeah, that. yeah. Oh, mate, yeah. Were you always kind of like um, free spirited, Jeremy? Is that is that what drew you to the music industry? You know, you mentioned there like the anti-war stance and the kind of yeah that that passion, that fire, that free spiritedness. <laughs> well, I, yes, I suppose I've, I I have had a degree of that. Um, but I think the music business for me was was quite funny because uh, I I I really all I knew when I left school was that I wanted to do something. You know, I want to do something creative, man. And um, and uh, 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 that involved, all I could think of doing was working in advertising, which actually a lot of writers do, I suppose. And I worked for J. Walter Thompson, which is was known at the time as a very nice place to work, providing your father could afford to send you there. Um, and, um, and it was interesting working there, uh, but I soon realised that I, uh, one of my clients I was working on was NatWest Bank, and I had an overdraft of £1.50 with them at the time, and they were giving me a hard time. And I thought, actually, I don't really want to work in this anymore. And then, ding, a phone call came, and this is literally true. Uh, a friend of mine from home, and he said, look, um, I'm working for Decca Records. And uh, we're looking for a plugger. And he said, I think you'd be really good at it. And I went, oh, really? <laughs> and um, he went, yeah, I do. You know, come over and have an interview. And I, honestly, my recollection, my idea of a record company was I thought it was a factory with a gate, with a big door, with men in brown coats loading up a lorry. I thought that was a record company. Um and, uh, you know, I went to this, you know, very snazzy offices uh, in Great Marlborough Street in Soho. And they said, look, your job is going to be, you know, taking singles and albums to Radio 1 and Radio 2. And, you know, it's going to be this, it's going to be that, it's going to be this, it's going to be great. And, you know, we have, you know, all these wonderful artists. And, uh, and I said, well, I'm not going to be a door-to-door salesman, if that's what you think, you know, because I'm just not going to be that. And they, they obviously went, they obviously saw that one coming and they went, of course you're not. No. <laughs> Little did I know. Um, but anyway, that's how I got into it, which was, um, and, and, and I mean, you know, people often ask me that. They say, how did you get into it? You know, but it, things happen in life that are luck, 
and um you know that was my that was my luck to get into that and uh and it was an, a very interesting you know my god such an interesting change you know yeah what sort of era what time frame were we talking there jeremy of decker like what um you're talking the 70s 70s yeah i mean like decker's a you know it's a famous label right so yeah 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 well criminal artists in those days i mean it was you know it was decker emi cbs warners um rca uh decker was really a big big company and stones uh well i hadn't got them at that point but had them um you know people like the 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 moody blues thin lizzie was an act that was great um to work on them you know from nothing that was really uh, exciting but they also had they had a very well-known company in america called london and that had you know al al green the shy lights hamilton bahaman oh my god you know jackie wilson it was all you know tres bon um and uh you know my it seemed because i have very long hair at that stage and so they sort of went actually you've got quite long hair you could work with the long-haired groups you know <laughs> and um you know there were i mean camel caravan thin lizzie i mean thin lizzie were they were a great live act caravan were a very very big college act at the time did a lot of work with them camel um arthur brown if you you know arthur brown the crazy world of arthur brown i am the god of hellfire wonderful person wonderful person if you're listening to this arthur he's still going um and um and uh, and it was interesting that that's that's the sort of the you know groups i mean there were uh, people like justin hayward and john lodge of the of the moody blues and the idea at that stage was that I worked out something that was quite handy, which was to take artists around radio stations. Um, but I'm talking up in Dundee, uh, you know, flying up to Glasgow, going out to Dundee, going all the way down, going all the way down to Plymouth. And that was quite fun. You know, that was um, very novel and new, um, especially if you're as absent-minded as me. Uh, you know, because I used to keep losing, <laughs> forgetting my suitcase and things like that. And in the end, you know, um, you know, I had, I, I remember my, one of the claims to fame was working with John Entwistle of The Who, um, who was quite an, an interesting character, very uh, austere and gothic. And, uh, you know, he, in the end, you know, he took charge of my, you know, he said, I'll be in charge of your suitcase, you know. <laughs> It was quite funny. Yeah, he stepped um, in to take care of you. Yeah, but I mean, of course, you know, there are lots of lots of ways of looking at at, at those days. Um, and um, but you know, what, thinking about when I was sitting here before I came on, you know, I was thinking, um, uh, yeah, well, we used to use the phone all the time. You know, the telephone, the landline. I mean, I know this sounds like I'm 140. But I mean, it is interesting that in that in history, as it were, now people go landline. Sorry, what is that? Is that a fish? Um, and um, but you know, we were on it all day. You know, and I I just think it's just fascinating how all of that has changed. Yeah, yeah. I suppose what a novelty, like the phone would have been 
when it started, you know, you hear stories of like one house in the street having it and everyone yeah. having to share. And then for something like of that big to just be like wiped out pretty much overnight, <laughs> you know, like it's, uh, yeah, it's quite, quite seismic. Yeah. Really, yeah. I, I mean, I think the, I think the interesting thing, and, and, and I don't want to turn this into a sort of um, psychology lecture, but phone was important. So you're talking to somebody. And when you weren't talking to somebody, you would be going to Radio One and going to John Peel, um, John Peel's producer, or Noah Lemons, any of these people, and you would talk to them. So it wasn't like you were going, here's an email, uh, you know, please play my record, it's jolly nice, and I'll buy you, you know, a large um, can of Frey Bentos. Um, so I, I don't know, I, I suppose what I'm trying to say is I think connection is very very important and i think some of us have lost that a bit you know because we all sort of oh it's tom hang on i'll just send him a text i won't ring him i won't go around and see him and i i think mental health wise that's quite interesting yeah definitely i think especially when we talk of like um like checking on checking in on our friends and the people around us and our loved ones and stuff you know it's so easy to deflect when you get a text someone might text you and say you okay it's really easy for me to go yeah i'm fine even if i'm not whereas if we have that phone call you know what i mean it's harder to um well i suppose it's easier to maybe open up a little bit and it's easier to connect and talk about things it's easier to shrug stuff off isn't it and yeah just not reply and yes um to become more more reclusive and more insular and things like that so yeah not easier. to not to own up or own it yeah that's it i think it's interesting yeah 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 very much so i mean speaking of mental health there jeremy it's a lovely segue but over the that sort of period we've just talked to when does sort of like mental illness start to rear its head for you were there signs early on of what was was to come at all well i think um the truth of it is that there had been some bouts of depression um which i think were um you know reactive depression um I think anyway, this is what I think. And those I'd managed to deal with, um, you know, just by faking it to make it really, I think. Um, and um, I mean, I was a great one for that stage, really, you know, not displaying anything uh, to anybody. Um, so I think I remember there was a time where I bust up with a girlfriend I've been going out with a long time. She that she um kicked me into touch or something and and I felt pretty bad about that um and that was dealt with um with uh alcohol um which was the go-to thing at the time um and just just buttoning it up basically um not the best not the best way and in terms of you know, I, I, I think I'm, I just managed to do that by, you know, that I, when I left Decker, I, I, I got invited to run a, a record label and I was 21, so I was very young. So it was all great, wonderful. Um, but I was suddenly in a much older milieu, you know, and, um, and I found some of that quite hard to cope with um, because it was dealing with, I had sort of mates in inverted commas in the pub. I mean, who were very different background to me. Um, fine, but they were. And very much sort of, as we all do, you know, we all take the piss out of people. And and I, I was a little sensitive to me, didn't like that. And um, But I didn't, there wasn't any possibility that you would know that. 
so <clears throat> the old alcohol side was really that's where that sort of kicked in um and and it was very effective um very effective and but because i did quite well over the next few years you know in terms of the business and you know it really went yeah went quite well so a lot of it was um you know forgiven you know that that um you know if perhaps you'd you'd forgotten that there was a large invoice you hadn't paid and you'd stuffed it in a drawer or something like that, you know, um, uh, or, you know, you'd had an altercation in the car or, or something like that. Lots of that was forgiven and not even commented on because it was all a very, you know, racy time at the, at that time. Um, so um just to bring it to the to the fast forward um so what happened was that basically uh my mum um became very ill uh with cancer and we were very close and you know it's sort of well it'll be all right you know she'll be fine you know i'm sure she'll be fine you know because she's just that type and uh, anyway <laughs> she wasn't fine and she died and I was, you know, people say, oh, you know, that was what did all your did for you, as it were. And I don't think it was totally that, um, but it had a real hand in it. Um, and that what I then thought, right, uh, just 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 said to myself, right, that's it. You're going to now you're going to really turn things around. You're going to do something very different. You're going to prove that you really have, you know, you can do it. Um, cause there was always that nagging, um, imposter thing going on. Um, and I had a very great friend of mine who, um, was successful manager, uh, of a group and he had a little label and we said, right, let's join forces. And we're going to get, and we were basically, you know, we, I, I told my boss, I told a load of people, I said, we're going to leave set up this new record label and they all literally went oh we'll give you the money um so we were going <laughs> blimey how hard is that and um had to work out a notice period six months notice period and towards the end of that period um sort of seeds of an economic recession came up on the horizon and all the people including my old boss um went oh sorry about that uh we can't give you the money after all and I mean, I repeat this because I think it's quite interesting that my view at that point wasn't, oh, right, stop. My view was, Christ almighty, go forward and we'll get the money, which wasn't my partner, my new partner. He didn't think that, but he, he agreed to do it with me. So he, that's what happened. And it was, um, it was a very different um It was a very different place to go to. You know, been in, used to being in, Soho, very groovy, fantastic. And suddenly we're in that Harrow Road, um, which if anybody knows, nothing wrong with Harrow Road, really, but it's a dreadful place. And um, and of course, we didn't really have any money. He had some money, but where there were people who owed money to, and oh my God. And I, you know, it went very quickly. Uh, it went very quickly into a major, major depression. But I didn't know. I didn't know what it was. I mean, 
uh, and you know, I, I I talk about it a lot. I give talks about it, and I can do that. But really, when I talk about it now on this, you know, I didn't know that. You know, I just thought, God, you're crap at making decisions. You know, what's happened? You know, you can't decide what bloody shoes to wear. God, you are awful. You know, because it was that like that, and um, you know, this isn't going to work. This will be a disaster. You know, now what are you going to do? You know, you better break up with your girlfriend. Maybe that'll do it. Maybe that'll help you, you know. Um, and it was, um, you know, sleep was terrible. And and I, I just couldn't complete anything. You know, I was like, right, I'll, I'll, I'll work out how much money we need to spend. And, um, you know, it's, I remember being in the office at 11.30 at night trying to do that, you know. And um, so that just got worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. And I just felt completely like everything I'd known had gone. So I was like this, just alone, really. And, and my partner, because we were great friends, was he didn't know what to do. He, and he was embarrassed, actually. And so everyone in the house in the office, about five people in the office, were like, Jeremy's a bit weird. No, no, don't go near him. And and I used to sit in my office, um, you know, just staring at the wall and, um, you know, doodling and thinking, you know, oh, is it time to go? Uh, literally. And, um, you know, one time, you know, I, I, I remember I had some tapes, some important tapes. And I... Um, I went right. I'm going to. I've got to get them somewhere. I'll take a taxi, and 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 I put the tapes on the roof of the taxi. Got in the door and didn't take them, and the taxi zoomed off, and I didn't remember, and we lost all the tapes. You know, and it was like, oh my god, um, and I think it just got worse and worse and worse and worse. And I just thought, right, well, I've, I, as I said, broke up with a girlfriend, which is a very big deal. Uh, and I just went, this, that's it, you know, I'm not going to do this anymore. It's 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 all over. And I said to my partner, I said, look, sorry, but I'm giving up the music business. And, um, you know, went down to, um, went down to Tube Station. Uh, I think it was uh, Sloan Square and Fulham Broadway, the my chosen ones. And um, thought, well, I'm just going to jump in front of one of them, really, because that's going to be the best thing. And um, it didn't happen. Uh, and I think because I wasn't, I think if it had been one stage beyond, it would have happened. Because I think people do that when they just go, I forget it. I'm not, you know, and I was still thinking this is going to hurt quite a lot. But, and that's probably what stopped me. Um, but anyway, um, a, a few days after this happened, um, um my old boss rang me up uh, and it, and and it was kind of weird because he said um he said look uh, uh, I, I don't want to be embarrassing but i've heard that you're really unhappy and um we really like you a lot and we don't want you to be unhappy and we want you i want you to come back um and i'm going to give you a big car you know big salary big this big that and you know and um i went my god you know, it was like, really? What, you give me that? And and he went, yeah, you know, because we think you're great. 
And I, I was like, I couldn't really believe it. But, you know, long story short, it, it, it flicked a switch. Uh, because suddenly I felt, my God, love, like, value. Wow. And it didn't, and it, it's kind of weird to explain to people, but it flicked an inner switch, which was that you're, you're okay. Right, let's get going. And I, I didn't take the job. I just, uh, I can't do that to my partner. I couldn't do that. So I went back. And within weeks, within a few weeks, not even that, I was working 14, 15 hours a day and really on it, really on it. You know, lots of decisions being made, lots of plans being made, doing this, doing that, doing this. And rah, 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 rah. Come on, optimism. We're going to make it. Had to make it. Uh, found a hit record. Great, you know. And, um, and you know, got the girlfriend back, great. You know, and this is, this is happening now, you know. And everyone was very pleased, you know, that Jeremy was back. But they didn't quite clock that Jeremy was back with a sort of extra layer and with a vengeance in a way. And, and what happened was that, um, you know, I, 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 was, I came up with an idea which... Uh, those days there was a thing called the BBC Radio One in concert series. And I, I knew the producer very well. I worked with them a lot. And all the big groups of the day had done this, con this, this live concert. And I figured out, I went, hang on a minute, where are the concerts? Now they've been broadcast. Are they in a vault in the BBC? And of course they were. And no one had really thought of this idea. And my idea was to license 36 of them from the BBC and put them out on a new label and it would be Hello Baby, you know. And it, 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 it was a good idea. It was a good idea. And, um, and uh, you know, my partner said, well, it's, it's great. I mean, it's quite complicated to do that. I mean, you know, you need to get money. And, uh, and I took, took Love Day, the girlfriend, and off we went to New York. Um, and... Um, and basically, somebody in a big rail company said to me, look, if you really get all these groups, if you can prove that you can get them on the on this concert, uh, we'll give you five million dollars. And um, and of course, I'm going, well, that's not going to be difficult, is it? You know, to get those groups. Because <laughs> I think I'd got one, which was a minor group. And that was all I can do then. I mean, you know, but getting a minor group and then getting the Pink Floyd is slightly different. Um, anyway, long story short, um, uh, you know, I came back and then it really was different. You know, I was different because it was like, right, let's not mess about. I don't want to live in this crap three bedroom flat of mine anymore. I want a five bedroom house and I want it now. And I'm going to get it. And I found one. And, um, you know, basically, uh, this is just an example, you know, basically, I, uh, it was vacant, this house, um, you know, the owner, his mum died, and, you know, and he's, the, the owner said to me, look, I like you, I like you, um, uh, I'm going away for six weeks now, and basically, when I come back, we'll do the deal, you know, we'll exchange contracts, and it'll be great, and I went, yeah, okay, fine, see ya. What he didn't know was I'd already shown my builders. I, had, I found a firm of builders on a staircase, which was obviously where you get most builders. 
and um, and uh, basically, I showed them around. The builders came on to me and they said, "Look, if we if we get into the uh, if we can get into the house, your house, your house next week, um, we can do all the work you want to do on it." in time for your girlfriend's birthday at the end of December. This was, you know, late October. So, right, I see, okay. Uh, so that's a bit of a decision, isn't it? Well, I mean, you know, it's not going to matter because obviously I will be buying this house. And uh, I went, okay, all right, well, look, you go and here's, here's a few grand, you know, I borrowed some money off the bank. Here's a few grand, get going on it, and uh, it'll be fantastic, you know. And of course, a week later, um, you know, once they'd been there a week, uh, the owner of the house came back early from holiday, obviously activated by the neighbours, and went berserk. Uh, the builders were all arrested because um, that was all, what were they doing? And um, he wasn't very, very pleased with me. And, um, and I, my attitude was, well, you know, keep your hair on, you know, what's the problem? You know, okay, okay. So I put the builders in, but I mean, I'm going to buy it. <laughs> Where's your mortgage? <laughs> and um, anyway, there were all you know, there were all sorts of things that happened, and, and and some intentions were really good. You know, I'd been asked by the head of the Middlesex Hospital to speak to the trustees of the hospital about you know their charity and how to raise money and. And I went to see them, you know, because my mother had been a patient there. And, you know, and I went, look, there's no point you thinking about having a fate to raise money. That's a stupid idea. What you want to do is you want to have a concert in Wembley Stadium. This was before Live Aid. And, you know, I happen to know Stevie Wonder and Fleetwood Mac. And what we'll do is we'll have a combined concert there, 15 quid a ticket you know it's all going to be absolutely brilliant you'll get your scanner and thank you very much okay everyone so <laughs> and the point about all of this stuff is that you're very 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 believable it's not like you're you know frothing at the mouth you're completely believable um, that's because you believe it yourself right jeremy is that Yes, I think, yeah, I think that's totally true. Yeah, you do. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, and you're going, well, I mean, you know, you know, it might be a bit, it's a bit, a bit cheeky to say that you're great friends of Fleetwood Mac when you've never met them. But I mean, um, you know, the manager, you've met the manager once in a lift, um, you know, but yes, it is that you believe this is really happening. This is, and you can, you can pull this off with a bit of help. You can pull it off. Yeah. So these would be like episodes of mania we're talking, right? So now when we, I know um, you talk about manic depression and like more recently, that's kind of talked about as bipolar, but with those episodes of depression and mania and swinging between the two. So when you're like super high functioning and you're planning these things and you're making these things happen and saying that you're going to make them happen are these episodes of, of, are you like in a manic state through these Jeremy? Is that kind of. Yes, that's right. Um, I mean, you know, yes, it is that, and 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 manic depression is what it was known as, um, and is now known as bipolar disorder and all that. Um, uh, and I think manic depression is a better 
better expression, but there you go, doesn't happen anymore. Yeah, and it and it can escalate basically. Um and um sometimes, you know, with what what they call now bipolar one and bipolar two, um, you know, bipolar two you only have this once, only happens once to you. Bipolar one it, it happens a few times, you know, um, which is, you know, what happened to me. Um and I had another trip to New York um, soon after this point. And, uh, you know, that was just sort of, that sort of really became quite outrageous, you know, sort of armed bodyguards and the most expensive hotel suite in New York and suing American Express for a million dollars and, um, you know, lots of girls who your mum wouldn't be approving of, all that sort of stuff. Um, and um, I mean, I, I think that bipolar is a very, you know, when it gets to that level, sort of super manic, bordering on psychosis, um, you know, you, 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 the, very often the grand grandiosity is quite a big deal. Um, you know, do you realise who I am? And and I, and I I, I assumed uh, a peerage at that point, and I, you know, so that was all my friends to this day call me Lord Thomas. Um, and, um, you know, so lots and lots of stuff, um, you know, happened and, you know, huge amounts of money was spent. Um, and I think it's, uh, yeah, I mean, I think it's, uh, it's very interesting because you don't think anything's wrong. You're just getting very, very angry and irritated with people for not doing what you want. Um, and um, I'll tell you, I mean, you, you know, this we can dump or whatever, but I'll tell you the final denouement in New York was I had two friends of mine. One was a school friend, um, two friends, a couple, and I rang them from this hotel, three bedroom, three bathroom suite, and rang them. And I said, look, I need you to get over here now. Um, they were staying in bed and breakfast. I uh, need you to bring me, um, you know, some money, um, you know, a decent amount of money. Get over here. And they got over here and they saw me, you know, with all sorts of people staying in the suite with me, um, you know. Uh, and, and, and basically they worked it out very quickly that something was very wrong. And I'd said to them, I'd said, look, I feel quite ill, actually, because I haven't slept for four nights. And um, get a doctor straight away. There was no sort of, you know, you're, you, you work for me, basically. That's, that's the deal. Uh, anyway, they went, of course, you know, we'll, we'll, go and, uh, we'll, we'll go and get a doctor. We'll sort that out, don't we? We'll sort everything out, don't we? Bye. And they got out and they rang London and they proceeded to organise a, a rescue mission. And they found a doctor... And it was an English doctor who, for some luck, specialised in this subject. It was just luck. And the first time he came to see me, he didn't call me the correct title and something else. He got, you know, thrown out. The next day he came and he said, oh, you know, Lord Thomas, I'm so sorry about my stupid behaviour yesterday. Um, you've obviously got a bit of flu. What we normally do here is we normally um, give people a um, B13 shot. 
and I'm going, B13? I've never heard of B13. And he went, no, 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 that's the latest thing. So if you just roll up your sleeve, and what he'd done is he told the others who, was, who were standing there, this will take about a minute or two minutes, and then it won't be functioning anymore. <clears throat> and it, there was a massive injection of this stuff. Anyway, he did it, and I went, thank you. Right then. And, uh, and I had organised... I'd organised with my friend who was a banker, a trainee banker. I'd, I'd organised him to come to a meeting with the senior vice president of Chase Manhattan Bank. Not great for him to do that. And he'd put on a suit. He'd got a suit to make it look like he was going to come. And I went, right, well, we're going now. And we actually went. Uh, you're getting the real story, actually. We actually went to this bank in a stretch Cadillac. and. We walked in, we sat down, and we were talking away to this guy. And suddenly, it was like someone had pulled a plug out of my back. I mean, I, I just could not talk anymore. And I felt like the whole, I could see it, it was feel it, everything shutting down. And my great friend saved my life by basically going, I think uh, Lord Thomas is actually not feeling very well. So I think we'll terminate the meeting now, and we'll just get outside. And And they had a car waiting, and... Well, much longer story, but um, I, I mean, I, so I was very, very lucky. I mean, that on that occasion, to have a great friend, two great friends, saved my bacon. Um, and I think that some people aren't lucky like that with this, and they clout somebody, and they go, you know, who do you think? You know, do you realise? And and then in the end, you get the police involved. And then you get the state mental hospital involved. Not great. So, yeah, that's that's that story. And it's it doesn't it didn't end there. Um, I mean, obviously it didn't end there because I went to went back to England and I and I, I uh, and I went and stayed in uh, two mental hospitals, um, which is you know serious stuff. Um, and of course, the what I think helps to, for people to know is that what was tricky was when I got there I'm still going do you realize who I am but gradually that went and I'm going actually who am I you know are you saying all that feeling of invincible super talented super attractive super everything has gone now isn't that wasn't that real gosh oh my god that was that was that was the blow. That was the blow. Funnily, yeah. Enough. I suppose it's almost like a identity crisis in a way. You know, if like all those things aren't that aren't real, like you say, then what's what's left? And I suppose you have to try and figure out, you know, who you are and what you're going to do next. And you know, I'm very, I'm always interested in the comeback, Jeremy. I think that you know that's the the part of the story that that's what gives us hope, right? To see how people go from where they were to, to where they are now and how we can, how we can be okay and how we can be well, because these are the things when we're not well that we think can never happen. Right. Yes. And and how did you go, you know, I'm assuming you left hospital and then had to rebuild the remnants of your, of your life and deal with the, deal with the, you know, the destruction, I suppose. Um, how did you start to put that, that together? How did that work? Um, well, I was very lucky because I had, um, my brother was very, very supportive. I've got an elder brother and he was, he was a very successful character 
and so he acted almost like a manager you know and sort of said come on you get we'll you know we'll take out a big loan from the bank and guarantee your house and little, little, and so that you can get this going um but i didn't get it going in the end um it was just too too much you know to get that bbc thing and um well to cut a long story short um it basically it all happened again it all the, the 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 sort of episodes all happened again um all over the world actually it was kind of uh, well germany antibes cardigan in wales and new york um and what happened was that i got sort of spat out of that um and you know went bankrupt really bankrupt not pretend bankrupt paid paid sold my house um paid uh you know all of that to creditors um and it was very very difficult um because you know we all rely to a degree on you know um some form of status and some sort of you know look i live at you know whole acre farm and great and i've got my girlfriend that's great and, uh, you know, I've got the amount of money in the bank and I drive a BMW and all this bollocks. But we do. But when all of that gets taken away so that you actually no longer live anywhere um, apart from friends' sofas um, and you don't have a job, you don't have a status, it's, it becomes very... So that's the problem in a way that um, this becomes self-perpetuating the the the, the 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 depressive side of the bipolar thing can can kick in so what long story short what happened to me um was i got i got offered a job in the end and the job was to run a punk rock psychobilly record label and it was connected to a big concert company and um i went are you kidding me? Do you really think I'm going to be doing that? Go out, you know, me, you know, forget it, you know, get some kid to do it. And um, I would say that the guy whose sofa I was sleeping on went, um, au contraire, uh, you're going to do it. And um, it was really the best thing that I could have done because, uh, you know, suddenly, of course, I knew quite a lot. Um, you know, right, let's get organized, you know, uh, structure. I'm in at 9.30. I'm staying till six. Great. I'm actually earning some money. My God, I've done that for a while. Wow, money. Um, and, you know, the groups um, who, you know, range from the Anti-Nowhere League to, you know, the Guanabats and people like that, all sorts of wonderful, wonderful groups, we're all going, uh, Jeremy, can I just ask your opinion on this? You know, what do you think? Um, what do I? Oh, well, I can. So everyone, you know, so the old self-esteem, self-worth <clears throat> was very, very good. And um, that was, I would say, the most important thing to kick it off, to kick the recovery off. Um, really, really important. And of course, then I was able to get, a, you know, rent a flat um you know which was terrific um i can't remember if i had a car so i wasn't 
quite keen on losing my driving license. Um, uh, and then I had girlfriends. That was great. Like that bit. And um, and then I did I, I did that four years. And you know there were you know wobbles. You know there were there were sort of wobbles that that happened. Um, and then I got off to run a much bigger record company, um, which was quite good. And that was that that was I mean the last one had been good, but I did that you know for four years and. Um, you know, and the final thing that, you know, that changed it for me um, was that, uh, you know, basically I realised um, I had to, had to, had to stop drinking. And um, and I'd really actually rather resisted that for a long time, you know, because people have said to me, don't you think you ought to? And I was like, no, I don't, actually, if you don't mind. Um and they'd sort of go, well, you, you have lost your driving license three times. Uh, you have uh, fallen asleep driving a car whilst drunk and gone through the windscreen into a lamppost and nearly killed yourself. I mean, that these are, could be reasons. I'll decide that, thank you. You know, um, and so I, you know, that was that was the thing. And, and, and when I give my talks, you know, I'm very public about this. Um, you know, that a friend of mine came up to me and he said, um, oh, you'll never guess where I went the other night. And I'll go, where? And he went, oh, I went to an AA meeting. And I'm going, an AA meeting? Oh, my God, that is tragic. And he said, no, it was great. I saw all these famous people there. He said, you ought to go. I mean, just with a crack, you know, really. And, uh, and I'm going, well, and they said, honestly, you'd love it. It's just a right laugh, you know, big crack. You don't have to go after that. So, of course, it was all a setup. I didn't know that. And um, and so I went and uh, and and that was actually uh, it was a missing bit of the jigsaw, a very big bit of the jigsaw. And it was um, there's a lot of um, dovetailing between uh, manic depression, bipolar disorder, and alcoholism. Alcoholism. I mean, you know, there's a whole mental side of that. And, you know, I, I talk about it because um, it's important to know. Um, and I do know. And, you know, that was a big life changer for me. Very big. As well as, of course, what I haven't mentioned, which is pretty bad and i'm sorry i'm doing all the talking tom um not at all uh, that's why you're here jeremy that's why you're here. <laughs> well of course the other thing of course with this is is medication and um you know i'd sort of rather skip that stupidly and just you know medication not everybody with bipolar or manic depression has to have manic depression but there are very few who don't and um you know, there are three or four things that you can have. And it's basically just having something that can eradicate an imbalance, a chemical imbalance in your brain. Um, and, you know, um, like lithium, lots of people go, oh, lithium, that's dreadful, that thing. That really, that's like a sort of zombie effect, isn't it? You know, and, and I'm going, really? I don't think so, actually. Um, and all it does is if you get the right dose, and that is the key underline 
get the right dosage, take it every day, um, same time, blah, blah, blah. And it will stop you going through the ceiling and it will stop you going through the floor. Um, it doesn't stop you being unhappy. It doesn't stop you being happy. But that's it. <coughs> and that's that. I mean, you know, I'm not saying that everybody has to do that. They don't, because what works for you might not work for me. Um, but you do need to do something, um, I think. And those are the things that worked for me. Um, and, you know, that's, you know, that's, um, gosh, that, that's, you know, I then went on and wrote books, um, you know, and, you, you know, honestly, you spend three years writing a novel on a Greek island, which is what I did, um, you know, and people go, oh, you're a zombie. I couldn't have written that if I hadn't had that, all that stuff. And I also couldn't have written it if I was drinking. I hate to say that, but much as I loved drinking, I loved it, loved it, loved it. But, you know, it's like people I meet going, um, oh, yes, I write books and I always have a bottle of scotch, you know, with me at the evening, you know, to write, help me write. And I'm going, really? Yeah, I don't think so, actually. Because it doesn't work like that. You know, Ernest Hemingway might have had a few drinks, but <laughs> just doesn't work like that. Anyway. Yeah. I've gone on. I've gone on. Not at all. It's, and I, you know, I really appreciate you sharing all that, Jeremy. It's, uh, it's, 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 you know, it's wonderful. It's why I wanted to, um, why I wanted to speak to you, you know, to get that, to get that insight and to, cause you know, you, you're talking about manic depression in a, you know, like we're used to hearing terms like bipolar and stuff now. Right. But you're, you're talking about this in an era where, you know, these words weren't commonplace at all. Right. No one kind of yeah. knew, no one was talking about this stuff. So like, it's really important to get that, to get that insight. You mentioned, um, going to Greece there. What was that like? Cause like in, I might be getting this completely wrong, like apologies to any Greek people listening, but like the, you know, alcohol is part of the culture, you know, Mediterranean culture. And you know, what was that like being sober in, uh, was it three years you were there? You said, mm, yeah, well, I still am there really, but um, yes, yes. Um, well, it was, uh, <clears throat> it was tricky. Um, it was tricky. I, I sort of thought it would all be, um, but mind you, I thought everything was going to be peaches and cream, you know, that I just do a little bit of work in the morning, you know, swimming, girls, you know, my own swimming pool, you know, it'd be really nice. And um, I had a house that was freezing cold when I got there. And, um, you know, there were no girls around when I first got there. There was only a goat in the garden and she wasn't interested. Um, but um, no, it, 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 it was a challenge. It was a real challenge. And, um, but, you know, you, you, these things don't happen by accident. And, um, you know, in the end, um, you know, somebody came to the island who was in the same motoring organization um, and that helped. And then someone else did and used to go to Athens. And, but it was, yeah, it was, it was tricky, but I wasn't, um, I wasn't going to let that one go lightly. Um, and also, I guess I, I knew on a, being on a Greek island, you know, I had a, had a very groovy Vespa. And, um, and, and one of the great things I know about myself is I have a very tra bad track record um, with drinking and driving, you know, <laughs> accidents. Are, you don't want to have an accident on a Greek island. I mean, A, because there's no hospital. But B, there are lots of cliffs and you can go over them, you know. So that was funny, actually, that I kept telling myself that don't do it, you know. 
so yeah good question i mean <clears throat> but it worked out in the end i mean we we um we 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 organized some meetings there in the end and there's still meetings going on there and that and that really helped um um uh, but yeah it was it was tricky mm. yeah is it like i often think like as part of recovery and i suppose i'm like referencing my own story a little bit here but i i found since um since i was really poorly a couple of years ago i've often find myself playing it really like really safe you know because i'm yeah. like quite scared of taking on too much at work or you know going too far away from home and getting sick and you you your world shrinks a little bit you're learning how to navigate it again and then the idea of something comes along the idea that something that maybe a few years ago i would have just done without thinking now i find that quite anxiety inducing you know and i suppose going to going to greece and like living there in you know not the ideal conditions is a kind of way of backing yourself right to kind of do something challenging without relying on alcohol without having a, a breakdown or an episode or and just kind of learning how to how to be with yourself and how to be yourself again yeah i i i think that's right and i i think you're right in terms of i think you become very risk aware um you know that you don't become goody two-shoes um but it's like i mean i used to, i used to be someone who just go well, i don't care see what happens you know never mind um and i don't i certainly in those first three years you know i i you know it wasn't there was very little safety net um so it's like don't be an asshole you know here you know and you know i had girlfriends and things like that and they were always quite exciting um up and down and that sort of thing um and i think you just some of the things you know where you get slightly down about something and you just go well you have to ride this one and talk about it to somebody you know um and fortunately there were people in the end i could talk to about it uh um so i think it, it's like you know this you know because uh, i think some people think common sense is like a really dirty word or you know it's like terrible and common sense for me is a very important thing you know maybe because i lacked lots of it but i i do think you know common sense you know that what would what would Mr. Snod, you know, of one railway cottages, railway cottage lane, railway shark, what would he say, you know? And, you know, like somebody who's like dead simple, but, oh, this is what you do, you know? Make sure you get some sleep. Stop having the light running through the curtains, you know? Take that dog for a walk. Um, have you eaten? You know, all that stuff. Um, and we're going, no, excuse me, I'm far more complex than that. Don't be ridiculous. But actually, we're not, you know, um, sleep is a really, really important thing. You know, I mean, uh, I mean, just as an example, I mean, and it's not, you know, there are things you can do about it. Um, so, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, that's what I think. And, uh, um, you know, one of the things that I mean, I, I'm jumping forward a second. And we can come back to the books because the book's quite important. Um, and I don't know why I'm saying this, but, you know, when we did, when I came back from Greece um, after the three years, and I, I said to my doctor, Tony Hughes, um, right, you know, I was just waiting for the book to be published, um, which I thought would happen in about 10 seconds. That was not quite the case. Um, and he said to me, he said, look, I've had an idea. I want to make, um, I want to make a television documentary. And I'm going... Tony, are you mad? You know, and and he went, no, I really do. And he he did 
been to college and learned about how to make things and even though he's a doctor and he said i want to make a documentary about manic depression so i said okay well let's do it and that's and, and we did that and he knew stephen fry and um you know and we we got stephen we got him to agree to narrate it and we put a lot of hard work into it um and you know we were very lucky and we've got some very good people to work with in the production company and when we started um which is not very well known this um you know we'd sort of gone right Stephen. so we'll write the script for you and then you just say it right and um over the first couple of days he turned around to the director and said look i don't think i can do this so we were going oh my god you know stop and he said you know basically it's too close to home um far too close long story short brilliant director ross wilson's name um who knew what to do we didn't and he what he did was he said like why don't we just change this whole thing and make it from your point of view and so that created the secret life of a manic depressive stephen fry and uh, and I'm plugging it because I think it's so worthwhile seeing. Um, and the the thing, and I'm going to shut up in a minute, the thing that I celebrate about that documentary is that there is one point in it where Stephen is really being cornered to, to say really what he thinks about what his own stuff. And um, and we said to him, look, you know, how how bad does it really get for you, you know, depression wise? And and he said, um, he said, well, um, he said, you know, there are times when I just feel like I am a, a complete cunt. And we were going, what? What did you say? And oh, my God. And obviously you won't want that in. Um, and we won't. And of course, we kept it in. And it was very moving, you know, because it was like, I know everyone swears their heads off these days, but that was really something. And and why I'm saying this, no, shut up, as I say, is that um, what he what he what he did by doing that was to he really exposed himself and said, look, this is how I can feel that I live. And the whole thing with this subject is shame, shame and embarrassment. You know that people go you know i'm i'm ted you know and i and i've had bipolar lots of it and i i live in wing canton i don't tell anybody about that i'd sit in the bar, pub at the end of the bar neck a beer and you know my life's crap suddenly they see this on the telly with stephen fry they're enabled they're entitled to tell someone and to go do you know i never told you this before but that was me and you know, to get rid of shame and embarrassment uh, is huge. And, and that, you know, he was brilliant like that. Fantastic. Did a great job. Yeah, it's a wonderful film. It's quite a, um, it's quite a seminal film, uh, like documentary about mental health, I think, because it kind of get, it gets referenced a lot on my show. A lot of people mention it as like the first time that they saw like mental illness rather than mental yeah. health being talked about in like mainstream media. Yeah. And, like I think, I often think, back when I was poorly and I didn't really know what was happening. I didn't know what was going on. I didn't know what mental health was. I had no frame of reference for it. 
but I knew Stephen Fry had suffered with his mental health. I didn't know what what it was. I hadn't seen the film at that point, yeah. you know, like it. Um, but I kind of knew, like it kind of see a bit like we were saying about sliding doors, right? It kind of seeped into popular um, culture, you know, seeped into people's minds that people knew that he'd had these these struggles. So you know, it just goes to show the power of someone with uh, with his profile, like you say, speaking um, speaking openly. It gives other people permission to speak openly too. If someone goes first, I always say this: if someone goes first then often someone else who sees you go first will then feel like they can go. You know, it just takes one person to be brave and, and say, yeah, yeah, that's happened to yeah, me. And then it, it gives everyone else permission. Yeah. I wanted to ask you a little bit about your talks, Jeremy, Jeremy that you do now, um, how to stay sane in an insane world. But you talk about dials in that. Could we touch on that a little bit? What you mean when you look at, uh, you ask people to check their dials when it comes to Yeah. Medicine? Well, basically, um, what I felt, uh, you know, when you talk to people about mental health, I mean, some people find it very difficult because it's it's so intangible. You don't know what mental health, what is that? And so I created um, uh, a dashboard, like an old sports car dashboard with eight, nine dials on it, um, which are the tenants of good mental health. Um, so, you know, it's stress, anger, self-esteem um you know i'm looking at my dials now actually um uh you know sleep gratitude resilience human contact all of these and because it's it's much easier if, if you are 16 years old or you're 56 years old that if you can say look let's just look at these dials where are you on these you know where where would you know if it's one to eight you know are you four are you two or are you you know seven but if you look at these the idea i mean i i always wish i had disney sponsoring me because i would we you could really do a lot then you know with animation and everything but the idea is just to go you know basically to say like i often say this that okay same example you're you're 16 you're 46, you've got a buddy, you know, who's also got the dials and you do it together, you know, and you go, all right, you know, right, we're going to dial in and check up. Where are you on this? No, you're not. You're, you know, come on. And, and so that you can also see, you know, for instance, when you're going to sleep, you're absolutely terrible or, you know, and human contact, what? I haven't had any. <laughs> You know, uh, so it's it's really trying to encourage people just to be normal about it and go, oh yeah, I see what you mean. Um, fuel, you know, uh, no, I haven't had any water for, you know, you know, rehydration, um, food, you know, because sometimes when you're really fed up, you know, don't eat at all. Um, not very good. Um, how's the stressometer? You know. Um, and, um, you know, and people say, well, surely the horse is bolted, you know, with these things. But it, 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 it's actually where you can go, I'm running, I'm running over the limits that I want to be running on. You know, my, my stress factor is ridiculous and I've got to do something about it. What do you reckon? You know? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I suppose staying with the, like, the car analogy, it's about having to look under the hood a little bit, really. Yes. You know, like if you're, if you know... 
you know if your sleep's not great because you're waking up at funny times or whatever but sometimes i think as modern humans we just go well i'm not sleeping very well at the moment and we don't even really like think about why or how and then if you're looking at your dials and you look at and your stress dials going like the needles snapping off and you go well maybe the stress and the anger is causing me not to sleep so you know they all kind of interlink with each other as well jeremy which is something that i really liked about it well i think that's right and obviously you know if you could put um you know you know you know like a, a lead where you're suddenly going <laughs> into your neck <laughs> hey i'll just be checking my dials I and mean, obviously that would be great but you have to use your own skill and the the trick although it's a very boring sort of thing to say the trick is that prevention is better than cure um so rather than wait till the time when you have to call the fire brigade you know actually just you know look at where that fire is at the moment and take those coals off the carpet and put them back in the fire um and that and, and i i try to emphasize in my talks that you know if you want to you can do something about it um and um you know i think that's very important and because a lot of us can think woe is me i'm being blown around in the wind and my life is crap and i all feel, feel terrible you know you actually can do something about it and sometimes you have to accept yes you know i have bad anxiety that's the deal i could have asthma i could have you know colonitis but i've got anxiety okay accept it what can i do about it what yeah. action am i going to take about it you know um as opposed to just you know slumping you know yeah there's a lot to be said for that isn't there like making the decision to kind of i don't know to be better you know to accepting like it's a not a problem to be solved because we're not necessarily looking for like an end solution right but like you say that, that there are things that i can you know there are things that i can do there are things that i can change there are you know let's look at holistically at my life and say how can we make this a little bit easier so really it's low-hanging fruit right that yeah. sort of thing you know it's things like water and sleep and, yes. and food and all that it's like tick this when it's like it feels like everything is too much then start with the little things start with the but close things i think that's well said and and obviously with low-hanging fruit you know you're going oh yeah yeah but i mean you know it's much more serious than that uh and you're going well actually if you deal with some of the low-hanging fruit watch what happens to the other dials you know um you know uh, uh, i mean you know again very dull especially if you're feeling crap when someone says to you what about exercise because you're going yes could you shut up please <laughs> that's how you feel <laughs> but the difference exercise does make um and it's not just the physical side of it you know being swimming cool i feel really good it's also the halo that has appeared on your head that hey i am fantastic i went swimming you know self-esteem you you know oh now i'll go and have some food oh marvelous and i'll go and you know i don't know it I, but it, it it's tricky it's it, it's action action is what's what's needed and and it takes it takes a while to get that but when you do then it's pretty good yeah yeah very much so yeah you mentioned and I'm, I'm really conscious of your time jeremy i've had you a long time this morning but you did mention your, your book before and i'd like to like touch on that and i want to talk on 
uh, I want to touch on the shed talks as well, because that's kind of how I found you. Right. So I found your your podcast. I enjoyed listening to a few episodes of of that uh, when I was researching for my chat with Dick Moore, because he's been on with you. Too. Ah, Dick, uh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Legend. So um, found and then from there. I found your book in my local library, actually. And I was like, I remember that guy's name. Is that the shed guy? Um, <laughs> but yeah, a lot of the stuff we've talked about today, you know, about dials and low hanging fruit and taking your care, care of yourself. It's in your, your A to Z book, isn't it? Yes. And a lot of your story as well is, is in there too. But that's a, the first half of that is a conversation between you and your d- doctor, the chap yeah. you mentioned earlier, right? Yeah, yeah, Tony. Yes, that's right. And Dr. Hughes, Dr. Tony Hughes. <laughs> Um, yeah, well, we, we've known each other for a long, long, long time. And he'd been my doctor. And, um, you know, uh, that's why he came to do, wanted to do the documentary. Not that it's about me, but I think I'd stirred his interest in it. Um, and um, when we made the programme with Stephen Fry, um, I said to Tony, look, I've got an idea for a book. Um which is called You Don't Have to Be Famous to Have Manic Depression, which was a very affectionate dig at Stephen and other people um, at the showbiz most analysis, but um, which is, was, I really wanted to do it just for ordinary people, you know, who, who have this. And, um, you know, and I wanted to do it, and it's a very bad thing to say, but I'm going to say it. I'd read a book by John Cleese and his therapist which I think was called Surviving Families or something, um, which I know was very well-intentioned, but it was written that if you didn't live in Hampstead, um, you would never understand what they were talking about. It was so sort of highfalutin and ridiculous. So I said to Tony, we're going to tell it how it is, and we're going to do that. So we had a, we, we modelled ourselves on their dialogue. Um, and the only thing I could tell you about this book is if you know who do you know who Bill Oddie is? I do, yes. Uh, this is one of three of, if not the favorite book in the world of Bill Oddie. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Hello, I made it. I think it's great. Thanks, That's Bill. It. Yeah, yeah, shout out, Bill. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, so I, I certainly got a lot from it, and um, yeah, it was a, a re- like really interesting read, and like I say, kind of particularly the era. You know, when you were yeah. kind of in those episodes, that was really fascinating to me in a time where people didn't really know what manic depression was. Um, and this whole thing about, I think, you know, certainly when I was ill, when I look back now with hindsight, I can yeah. see a lot of times throughout my life when I was very unwell yeah, and acting like it. But because I didn't know I was unwell, I thought it was almost like my personality. I thought it was me. And you know, some situations I found myself in, some ways I behaved that I'm not proud of. Yeah. At the time I thought, ah, oh, maybe me, maybe I'm a bad person, you know, maybe I'm a mean person, maybe I'm an idiot, yeah. all these sorts of things. I look back now and I was like, oh, mate, you were just really unwell and you probably just needed a hug. Do you know what I mean? Like, uh, and it was kind of, that's what I really got from your your story, mm. Um, you know, was there were times when you were quite unwell and it was almost kind of hidden in plain sight almost, Jeremy. And I think yeah. that's like, I think a lot of people would connect with that as well. Yeah, no, I, I, I think I think that's true. And, um, you know, uh, well, I, I, I'm glad you I'm glad you, you know, you got something out of it. And I, I, I think it's that's what we wanted that book to do. And we did it with the A to Z guide to mental health. And that we did with some, you know, professional doctors and psychiatrists. But again, you know, what is schizophrenia, you know, and I mean, you can get 
these sort of books and they go, you read it and you go, oh my God, I have no idea what they're talking about. We, we wanted everything to just read, this is what it is, this is what it isn't, this is what you can do about it, you know. So that's the other side of that. Uh, I've just I've just re re um, revamped that that particular section and put that out as an ebook, um, which I think anyone can get on Kindle. Um, just you know, uh, the A to Z guide. Yeah, it's quite good. It's yeah. Quite a good idea. Oh, wonderful. Well, I'll put yeah. all links and everything like that in yeah, the, uh, in the episode okay. notes. Yeah, and um. Jeremy, thank you so much for your for your time today. We spoke um we spoke a couple of weeks ago, didn't we? Just to kind of like intro for this for this episode, and even our chat then could have probably gone out as a podcast episode. It was wonderful to chat then. It was I know, to chat I now, know. But, um, I well, can't thank well, you enough for your time, mate. It's been lovely. Well, thank you, and we'll have to uh, we'll have to revisit this somehow um, and and talk about shed talks. But we are in the yeah. shed now. Yeah, well, let's and- let's do, let's do that now. While I've got you, Jeremy, let's do do that now because you talk to. You've had some amazing people on on Shed Talks just before I, I, I let you go. And I'd love to um, yeah give give that a shout. How did, why did you decide to dip your toe in, in that world? Man? I wanted to make, um, I came up with an idea, which was going to be a Radio 4 show, um, I thought, uh, called Around the Kitchen Table. Um, very much this idea of having a regular me and a regular co, co-presenter or something and a guest doing like a 15, 20 minute share about whatever it was mental health anyway long story short it didn't happen um and uh you know i was people said to me, well we'll come back in 10 months and i went i can't be bothered and it was when the covid started so i i kicked it off during covid and um and the first person i did was tim clark who is robbie williams manager um used to be managing director of island records um wonderful guy very sane um and that was the idea of shed talks was either to go right your name is you know hopefully we know who you are your name is tommy mcshane and you know you are a severe depressive you're a gambling addict and we're going to talk about that and find out how it all worked out in the end and how you stay sane you know what keeps you afloat or we're going to talk to tim clark who is the most sane person I know, but he's had a Robbie Williams to manage, quite interesting. And he had a, a wonderful partner called David Entoven, uh, who was, I mean, I can't tell you, we have to listen to it. I mean, he, he was Brian Ferry's manager and all very, very successful and got given a lot of money. I'm talking about millions of money. And he went bonkers um, with... Um, cocaine, alcohol, heroin, crack, um, you name it, and went through all his dough and terrible. And Tim saved his life. And But it's very interesting to see how Tim stayed sane during all this, working with people like that. Um, and so, you know, I did, you know, Ian Rankin, um, you know, the writer. And that was a this. wonderful episode, that one. That's yeah, I, I really liked it. I mean, he's he's a tough he's a tough geezer you know i went oh, what was it hi you know ian really nice to have you yep <laughs> <laughs> all right okay <laughs> thanks Ian. <laughs> but uh, you know he's great because he talked about growing up in fife and uh you know gangs and you know mum dying when he's 19 all sorts of things and how he had terrible anxiety 
terrible panic attacks um and uh loved hearing his stuff and talking to him very bright down to earth about it how he dealt with how he deals with it he's got highly disabled child um normal other child how he deals with that and how you know things you know you go so Ian, what do you do when you get really stressed you know and he goes well i get a puzzle you know a jigsaw puzzle out you know it's like what don't you get a murderer <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah i mean that's but, the beauty know, of speaking to these different people right it's well it's like it's that. like lovely you know nathan horrocks not very well known but a jockey big northern jockey now a very successful television third person but you know what what it was like for him um you know he said i don't know why people think i had a difficult childhood i didn't really you know i said well what happened um you know i think you were you you had an elder sister two months before you were born and he goes oh yeah 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 my elder two years old walked out the back door of the house and um fell into a pond and drowned um and uh, mum didn't see her do it uh you know uh, you know oh yeah my 18 year old sister died of anorexia yeah okay and you know that's just the background you know and so you then fascinating um how people and in his case it didn't really go totally wrong until a very very famous horse that he'd been riding and looking after um you know the one the grand national um died and and that nearly finished him off and it's what triggered him into therapy um i mean all, i i i i like doing shed talks because it's you've got various aspects of it that are you know um i mean nikki chin you know who if anybody remembers mud or sweet or teen turner or you know Susie quattro he wrote millions of hits and he was he has bipolar and um uh, and at the end of the interview I, I said i'm really sorry i understand you know your wife died you know eight months ago and he and i sort of thinking well you know i just didn't i assumed it was cancer and she was much younger than him and he said oh no no she didn't die of cancer she died of alcoholism and it was like wow and i said i'm so sorry you know and he said, oh, you know, don't be too sorry. You know, he said, basically, I am, I think about her every day. I look at her portrait every day and I cry for about half an hour. Aww. Really, really moving. But he said, yeah. you know, Jeremy, the point is, there are those people who want to get well and there are those people who don't. And my wife was someone who didn't. And it was like, wow, mm. blimey, that's put something in my pipe, you know. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. No, I think, um, like I say, I really enjoy the show, and I, there's a, I love the, the sort of conversational element to it. And I think because of because of your life and your experiences, but also like I kind of like your little black book and your contacts. There's some really interesting guests in there, and some really interesting, yeah. uh, but a perspective. Oh, well, thank yeah. you, Tom. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I, so, I um, think so. Yeah. Well, yeah. you're getting your next one. Well, you probably we don't know whether it's next in terms of this, but I'll tell you anyway. The next one is Jan Ravens of Dead Ringers. Uh, okay yeah yeah oh mate superb well i'll put all the links in the episode notes and i'll make sure people know where they can find it where they can find you all that sort of stuff mate brilliant and, um yeah thank you so much for your time today well this is the first podcast i've ever done apart from my own so is it really yeah i've yeah. got an exclusive here yeah. you have you have oh, but mate. i'm sorry if i banged on too much i just um 
I didn't. I, I have. I'm so unused to being uh, this side of the table. Um, yeah. But, no, that's what we want. But no, that was lovely, mate. And thank you. Um, thank you so well, thank much. Thank you very your, much. Your really, it really nice. And I hope our paths cross again. You know. Um, I would love that, mate. Yeah, that would be really, uh, really lovely. Tom, you're a rocker. Um, thank you so much. I hope that you can get a decent thing out of that. Oh, um, mate, that, that was lovely. I enjoyed it immensely. And it was lovely to um, lovely to meet you. And thanks for being so generous with your time. I've had you a long time, Jeremy. So I, um, I appreciate no it. I had a feeling this wasn't going to be a short one. I had a feeling. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Tom. You take care, mate. Huh? Send and me that address. that address. I will, I promise. Yeah, that'd be great. Thank you so much. All right. Bye-bye. A big up to the proper mental podcast. A proper mental podcast. <laughs>